You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Uh, 40 Days of Prayer starts tomorrow. We always start the new year off with with focusing on prayer. And uh, there's red prayer cards out in the, the foyer. And so make sure you grab one of those and then be watching on the, on the website for the prayer blog. There'll be one posted each day. Just kind of follow through. It's just something to help prompt you to pray and, and just to start out the year in a, in a good way. Um, if you want to fast and pray, that'd be awesome too. Just really dial in. What is it that God has for you and how can you get closer to him? And as we say goodbye to 2023 and we say hello to 2024. Um, Fallon already mentioned the, the journals on the kiosk, so make sure you check those out too as far as reading through the Bible in a year. Prayer and God's word, that's where we need to be. Whatever the next year looks like. Um, if you're in prayer and you're in God's word, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. So let's do that. Um, usually at the, the, the last Sunday of the year, I try to focus on saying goodbye to the previous year and casting kind of vision for the new year. And, and there might be uh, an element of that this morning, and there will be because we kind of forget the former things and look forward to what God is doing. But something that God's really put on my heart and the, the Holy Spirit really directed me to do is really it's an uncomfortable message. I, know, I was telling Peg and told the team earlier when we were praying, like, I wanted to just stay home and in bed today. <clears throat> we could have played a VeggieTales movie. They got some good ones. Um, it would have been a lot easier, but we're going to talk about death and grief. Um, and it's a heavy subject. It's something we don't want to talk about. The only time we talk about those things is when there's a memorial service, a, a funeral, a graveside service. Uh, we lose somebody. Um, and we don't really talk about it. The title of today is Grief Exposed, Facing Life and Facing Death. What does that look like biblically? And it was hard. Fallon was asking me what the scripture was for the reading today. And I, I put First Thessalonians 4, 11 through 14, but really there's some other scriptures we're going to be in as well. Um, really taking everything to God's word. I seem to have been remiss in, in addressing the subject, and I do what Scott does best, and that's, you know, put my head down, put my shoulders forward, and let's just plow through this thing. Uh, I was just talking to somebody after before service about the same thing. We're just kind of like Teflon. Things kind of slide off of us and we just kind of keep on going and things bounce off of us. Um, that's why once, I think when Pam did pass, my body seemed to like fall apart. Apparently I stopped and stood up and my body said, yeah, it's your turn to get taken care of. Um, it's what happens when eight years of stress and adrenaline is what keeps you upright. Uh, what do we do? How do we take care of ourselves? How do we keep things in perspective? life and death and grief. It's, it's a process. It's, it's a part of all of our lives. And I imagine next year at this time, I'll look at it with a little bit uh, more wisdom, maybe a different approach and different perspective because we're always learning and growing. Um, what is guaranteed? The only things in life they say that are guaranteed are what? Death and taxes. Can I just say I hate taxes? Well, I don't really like death either. But a guarantee 
A guarantee is a promise or an assurance, especially one in writing, something is of specified quality or content or benefit, or that it would be performed satisfactorily for a given amount of time, that guarantee. What in our lives is guaranteed? As a Christian, we have a better guarantee than that. We, we have Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and then New King James, it says, in him you are also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, official documents were sealed in, in antiquity, implying protection, implying ownership, when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God puts you inside an envelope called Christ. You are in Christ. But God also guarantees delivery. His, he registers the letter and seals it with the Holy Spirit, indicating that he is its owner and the only one who is qualified to open it. We don't go through life alone. You've heard me say that more than once. The Holy Spirit is not with us just on a temporary basis. He walks alongside us before salvation and then comes and lives within us at the moment we accept Jesus Christ. He never leaves us. This is our guarantee. The reason that we can be sure of eternal salvation, the eternal security. Neither sin or anything else can cause the Lord to forsake us because his spirit has sealed us in him forever. His spirit guarantees our relationship with him for eternity. And as we close out 2023 and, and we look at what 2024 has ahead, there's a question for us as individuals and as a body that gathers, why do we even go to church? I mean, why is it there? I mean, the coffee's okay, and the cookies are good. But simply put, the Bible tells us that we need to attend church so we can worship God, so we can be with other believers, we can be taught his word for spiritual growth. The church, that is the body of Christ. We meet together in this building. This building, these walls are not the church. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. It's within this that we bring strength and maturity it's within this that we remind ourselves that, that we don't do life alone. It seems that this next scripture has come up a lot in the last few weeks as, as we've been in different books, different teachings, and it's Acts 2.42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. The early church was indeed devoted. The question is, are we? My exhortation to you as we walk into 2024 it is, is that we have eyes on God. It's so easy to have our eyes on the world, isn't it? Even this morning, just casually, I'm getting ready. I turn on the TV, just catch the weather. Then all of a sudden the news is on. Oh, that's, ha oh, that's happening too. Ooh, that happened over there. And then pretty soon I'm like, ah, man, right? How quickly we get sucked right into what is going on around us. Our focus needs to be on him. Make sure you're focusing and, and being determined to focus on God, on your relationship with him, that, that you're devoted to his church, that you're engaging in your faith with other believers. Guys, we need each other. We can't isolate. We can't go through life alone. The early church didn't have its own building, but they were determined to meet. They met in the temple courts. They, they broke bread in each other's homes with gladness, with sincerity. 
So it doesn't really matter where we meet as long as, right, we're teaching the word of God. And I mean, we could meet out in the parking lot. I mean, it's winter, it's comfortable. We can meet anywhere as long as we're getting into God's word, right? As we're, we're believers together, we thrive on that fellowship with each other and with God. But we're so blessed to be able to meet in here, aren't we? Where the temperature is 70 degrees, right? Where we're comfortable, we get a nice cushy seat. But we are truly blessed. The writer of the Hebrews tells us that we should continue to meet together so we can encourage each other, especially as the day approaches, that day being the return of the Lord. And, and as we see the end of times coming, and from what we see, it looks as the Lord's return is even closer and closer every day. There's so many things that the world's telling you and I, things about life and death and about what you should do in every situation, all the advice that you could ever need except surrender to God and press into him that we should rely on his help. Everything except, well, you should turn to and trust in God's word and, and apply it to your life. That's that's what we need because in God's word is everything we need for every situation that comes up. The church is a place where believers can love each other and encourage each other. We can spur each other on in love and good works that we can serve each other and instruct one another. We can honor one another. We can be kind and compassionate to one another. Guys, this is a place where we serve, where we serve God and we serve each other. You know, one of the things with us shifting to uh, one service is that aspect. My first question was to Chevy and about her team and children's ministry. And that aspect of, man, if we do this, that means the workers need to be able to rotate through so they can come to church. And I found out today, Chevy has to be in the class three weeks in a row. So guys, we need volunteers. We need servants. People who will love on kids and hang out with kids. So the encouragement and exhortation, even in this, as we meet together and we serve each other, it's even in that. We serve our families by watching and hanging out with kids, not just watching them and babysitting. We're giving them an opportunity to love on them with the love of the Lord and to give them the gospel message, to give them some hope. So I encourage you. This is a side commercial. Insert commercial here. Man, we need you in children's ministry. Help them out. Serve, serve with them. Amen. That's an easy thing. That's a loving thing. That's a, an amazing thing to me. When I think about children's ministry and I think about all the hard things that we do, man, I'm glad I'm not a, a, a youth pastor today. Youth are, youth are in a tough spot today. I don't know that being a senior pastor is any easier, but like we need to love on those families. We need to encourage them. But when we think about children's ministry, especially, I think about that innocence. I think about that, man, they're just tender. You tell them about Jesus, and they're like, they're right there. They're on it. That's what we need to do. Today's message is heavy in so many ways. Uh, the, the heaviest part, though, the heaviest emphasis that I hope we get out of this is the fact that we have hope in Christ. Troy mentioned it at the very beginning. Guys, there's a lot of stuff going on, but we have hope in Christ. Vision for life beyond our circumstances. We, we have vision. God has things for us beyond our grief, beyond our pain, beyond those struggles that we seem to grind through. When a person trusts Jesus Christ for salvation, he or she is made a member of the body of Christ. And for a church body to function properly, all of its body parts need to be present and working together. It's not enough to just attend church. We really do need to be involved and engaged in, in some type of a ministry. We need to be working together. We need to support each other. So it's not just enough to just show up, but it's to be involved. 
It's to be used. It's to let God use those spiritual gifts that he's given you. Even those musical gifts that God has given you. A believer is never going to reach full maturity without having that outlet for his or her gifts. And, And we all need to assist and to encourage, to exhort each other. That's why we're together. Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. We're like living stones. We're built into a spiritual house to be a a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As as the building materials of God's spiritual house, we naturally have a connection with one another. That connection is evidence every time the church gathers. You know it when you walk in the front doors and you're greeted. Like this church is known for greeting and for loving people, for encouraging and welcoming people in, making that connection. It's that kindred spirit. It's because we follow Christ. It's because we're spirit-filled believers. We connect with each other automatically. It's so important that we do life together. I'm, I'm learning and remembering the importance of needing to laugh. Anybody need to laugh? So I get accused of my corny dad jokes all the time. We need to laugh. We need to love. We need to live life and and enjoy life and make memories because, well, when when tragedy happens or death comes knocking, well, we're already in relationship with others that we can walk through life with. Like, we need to do that. See, we kind of get complacent. Like, well, I don't really need to engage too much because things are really good right now. But the idea is that we engage when we can enjoy each other too, not just when we're grieving. Not just when we're struggling. There's a purpose in your life. There's a, a purpose in what you and I go through and, and what we're walking through even right now. And you've heard me say it before, whatever you've gone through or whatever you're going through now, don't waste it. Somebody else needs to glean from that. What is it that, that you learned? What is it that you walked through? How is it that God was faithful? How did you stand in and through that? When did you fall? How did you get back up? We need that with each other. There's also another practical side to this message this morning and things that I'm learning and I'm implementing and still working on. And that's the aspect that we're going to look at here of taking care of your business. That is getting your house in order. You know, I think about it with Pam. Pam had this folder together of all this pertinent information and she titled it. I still have it. It says, things you need to know. power of attorney taken care of, wills updated, the five wishes taken care of. It all sounds hard, right? It's heavy. But do those things now, do those things when you're of sound mind and ability and it it brings your loved ones peace. I'm working on this now for my kids. We've talked through some of this as well. Doing everything I can to have my house in order, to eliminate debt, to, to leave my kids in a good place, to make sure that, that arrangements are already made for me when, when I finally pass. They don't have to do anything except call a phone number. Right? There's a practical side to these things that God gives us. But it's most important for me to make sure my spiritual house is in order. It's most important that you make sure your spiritual house is in order. The battle, the battle's been heavy. <laughs> but I've drawn close to the Lord. Much closer since the Lord, since, since, I mean, God's been right there since Pam passed. He was there before. And there's been some struggles and some heaviness. And I'm not perfect. But man, I'm so much more aware 
of who God is and his influence in my life, the impact that that life makes on my kids and my grandkids and on others. You know, my counselor had said, to the extent that we loved someone is the extent in which we grieve. Man, that hurt. To the extent we loved, we grieve. That stinks. I'm not going to love anybody anymore. Ah, the Grinch lives. His heart shrunk three times that day. No, I'm just kidding. We have hope. We have hope because of Christ. We have hope because God loved us first. God has us here for a reason. He has us here in this season. In your life, there's, there's purpose in your joy and there's purpose in your pain. But the question is, are you seeking him for that purpose? And it's hard when you're in the middle of it. It's hard to see. This week was hard. Thanksgiving week, or I refer to as hell week. It was hard. Those firsts, right? I'm learning a lot about this. They're heavy. Am I seeking God's purpose in and through that? This morning, we're gonna look at a guy named Hezekiah. Who is Hezekiah? He's one of the few kings of the Jews who was constantly aware of God's acts in the past and his involvement in the events of every day. The Bible describes Hezekiah as a king who had a close relationship with God, who, one who did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. Something that strikes me within that is that he was thinking constantly about, okay, look, God did this thing. This is happening now. Okay, it's going to be okay. That's where our mindset needs, that's where my mindset needs to be. Oh, man, I'm really going through this thing right now. Well, God was faithful over here. He'll be faithful here. 2 Kings 20, 1 through 3, says, In the days of Hezekiah, in those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. Isaiah, the prophet, son of Amaz, Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, you, I beseech you how I have walked before you in truth and in whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So the Lord spoke to Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah, telling him, It's time to go home. I'm, I'm taking you home, and sickness is going to be the tool that I'm going to use. So question for you then is, what if the Lord came to you and said, you know what, set your house in order. I'm taking you, I'm going to take you home. How would you respond? Would you panic? Are you walking with the Lord in such a way that you would be at peace about whatever God said? Hezekiah still turned his face to the wall and he bitterly wept. He didn't want to die. 15 years passes between verses 1 through 3 and verses 20 and 21. Look at 2 Kings 20, 20 and 21. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made the pool at the conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Hezekiah slept with his fathers and Manasseh, his son, became king in his place. You see, when Hezekiah had heard that the Assyrians were coming, he commanded a tunnel to be dug from the spring of Gehon to the, the pool of Siloam inside the city in order that the Assyrians would be unable to cut off their water source. Now, that sounds kind of cool, but to think about it, he had to accomplish doing a 1,777-foot-long tunnel, 30 feet underground in solid rock. Now, that's... A, an accomplishment, but God gave him the wisdom and the ability and the manpower to do that. It saved lives. 
You see, God uses people in our lives in strange and in beautiful ways and beneficial ways, so, so helpful in our lives and maybe even saving our lives as Hezekiah saved their lives. And then when they're gone, rather they move away or they die. No matter what the circumstances, it hurts, it's hard, it's, it's heavy. There's people in this room and those listening online that have lost someone, dear friends, whether they moved away or there's health issues, death, accident, even suicide. There have even been people of great faith that have passed away. Billy Graham, others, Chuck Smith passed away in 2013. When that person of influence in your life passes away, you feel it differently. There are those in this room who have lost husbands, wives, daughters, sons, aunts, uncles, friends, people who have influenced you and, and touched your life deeply. And it hurts. We don't like it. Those feelings. That's why I like the Grinch so much. <laughs> oh, feelings. Here they come again. Do you ever feel like life is mundane? I used to love, anybody watch um, Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? Man, I used to love that movie, right? If you're not familiar with it, he goes, wakes up every day the same day over and over again. Does different silly things throughout the whole thing. Some of them are kind of funny. I used to love that movie. But as I was doing Pam's medical care and hospice stuff, I determined it was dumb. There were times that I found myself resenting brushing my teeth. Because after I brushed my teeth, I had to get medications and IVs and feeding tube stuff ready, and, right? Every day repeating itself. So many times I'd have to put myself in check. God, I'm here to serve you and I'm here to serve Pam. I'm here then to serve my family. I'm here to serve the church. Lord, I just want to serve you. Now looking back at that, even as I'm putting this message together, I'm like, oh, if I could just do that again with Pam. I'll get her ready before I come to church. Back in the 60s, there was a band named The Birds. Anybody know who they were? No, don't raise your hand. I don't really did you. They sang a famous song, and many of you know it, or maybe have heard it. Turn, turn, turn to everything. Turn, turn, turn. There is a season. Turn, turn, turn to every purpose under heaven. One of these days, I'm going to sing a song to you guys instead of quoting it. This song, though, was taken really from the Bible. Think about it. The, the purpose really was a cry for peace when they wrote it. But the book of Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon, the wisest of men. Ecclesiastes 3 is a meditation about the rhythms of life, the, the balance of things that we can and cannot control. It begins with what we cannot, or what we cannot control, birth and death and planting and harvest. However much we try to influence them, we ultimately have to go with the rhythm of God's work in the world. God's divine providence, a time for everything, his timing for everything. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, there's an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as, as lost. 
a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. You see, in his journey to find happiness, in his attempt to grasp meaning, Solomon is saying, life is predictable, mundane, it's boring. What you sow eventually is reaped. What you build eventually falls apart. You love, but it's followed by hate. You have peace, but soon there's going to be war. He's saying that everything is futile, boring, and mundane, and predictable. So encouraging, isn't it? It's been said that the problem with life is that it's so daily. And that's what Solomon is saying when he says there's got to be more to life than just this. But then further on in in Ecclesiastes 3, he gives us a glimmer of hope in the first part of verse 11 of, of chapter 3. He, that is God, has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. And there's our hope. God's divine providence, there is indeed a time for everything, and it is directed by God. Sickness, disease, death, those things that plague the world, they're they're there because of sin. It would have been so much easier if Adam and Eve just kept it together. Exactly. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 26, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. So there is hope. When at last the kingdom of death is cast into outer darkness, Christ will rule and reign unchallenged. What a day that'll be. The last enemy destroyed, never more to haunt or burden anyone. Not only be a physical death, but but the death of marriage will be put to death. The death of joy, the death of peace, the death of everything that brings about hopelessness and heaviness and sorrow. To that we say, thank God. It's understanding the depth of the words in Revelations 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Hope. We have hope. Our eternal home is like nothing we've ever experienced. It's a place that's free from sin, from death. It's free of guilt and fear sorrow. Never again will we experience the the consequences of our fallen nature, separation from our loved ones and loss and worry and sickness and crime and pain or injustice. Freedom. Inexpressible. Can you even imagine? We'll be absolutely free to become all that God created us to be. Not who we think we're trying to make us be all for his praise, all for his glory, and best of all, we get to enjoy it in fellowship with our Lord and Savior forever. So there is hope. However, until then, things are a little hard. Things get a little heavy. But just as there are seasons in this beautiful state, there, there are seasons in our lives. You know, went up to, to Rocky Mountain National Park, and man, it was sunny, beautiful. Um, I did wear a coat. It was a little crispy. Um, but it was just so beautiful to see God's creation, but, but it is winter. It's winter. Things are cold. Things are, 
Well, things are dead. Nothing's growing. Soon we'll shift back into spring and many of you will stop whining. I'm just kidding. Um, we'll shift back into spring. Things begin to grow. Temperature gets a little warmer sometimes. Spring, summer, things continue to grow. You get the warmth of the sunshine. And then fall comes and there's a harvest. Things begin to die again. Right? There's those seasons that happen, those seasons in life. We have to think of life as the same way. We have those seasons we go through and it, it seems at times like some of those winter seasons are longer, longer days. But God is still there. In the first part of verse one of 2 Kings 20, it says, in those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. In those days, God does bring blessings through people. And, and we have to remember that even people of great influence in our lives, they do get sick. They do pass away. And all of us are going to face death. This might even be my last message today. I don't know. We don't know. That time's not guaranteed. The only thing that's guaranteed is that the Holy Spirit and, and eternity with heaven, with our Heavenly Father. Hezekiah was told to get his house in order. Something I referred to earlier is, is that aspect of you and I must get our house in order, spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally even. Is your house in order? This is something we have to work on daily. We talked about 40 days of prayer. We talked about getting into your, your Bible reading and journaling and reading through the Bible in a year. And, and it's those things we have to put in order first. Put those things in order. And then God help you. He'll help you bring the other things in order as well. See, Pam and I walked through all that kind of stuff. She, she was in the Word. She, she did her devotions. She was going through the, the, the Bible reading with us. It was funny, right before she passed away, she was trying to catch up. She's like, I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm behind. I got to get caught back up. She's, she was doing everything she could to be on point with her relationship with the Lord. We've got to do that first because then when it's time to make harder decisions, we've already spent time with the Lord and we can make those decisions. We walked through all that stuff. It was so much easier then for us to, to step into that hospice peace, and, and it was still hard, but, but we had spent time with the Lord. Okay, now that next thing comes. All right, we still stay, spend time with the Lord, make sure your relationships where it's supposed to be, and we keep walking. Amen? You okay? Okay. Right now, I'm working on my five wishes. Um, learning about a living trust. I didn't know anything about that till Nori walked me through some stuff. Prepaying my funeral arrangements so I'm not a burden on my kids. Paying things off so the kids don't have to worry about it. Someday I will die. I want to do everything I can to make sure I'm ready. Now I want to go see Jesus. Absent with his body, present with the Lord. <laughs> when it's time, until then, we continue. We do what it is that God has called us to do until such a time as we take our last breath. Amen? I know. Well, I talk about this. In happy New Year. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Because the reality is that death indeed is inevitable for all of us. For everything, there is a season. The world does try to dictate how we deal with it. The world says live for now. But then when death happens, there's fear and inconsolable weeping. Guys, we have to address this as a church. We can't just wait for the next memorial service. We address it now. We have a clear mind. 
when we can focus, as we look into the new year, what does that look like? You know, Lord, let me be on point with you this year. Let me be ready for whatever you have for me. It doesn't mean doom and gloom. It's whatever you have for me, Lord. Let me be ready. Let me be on point with you. We address it as a church because we have hope. And many times people ask me, well, how are you doing? I got a lot of that this year. How are you doing? Well, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm heavy hearted, but not without hope. Not without hope. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9.27 says, Inasmuch as appointed for men to die once, and after comes the judgment, staying focused. After death comes judgment. Are we ready for that? The reality is that time is short. We don't have time to waste. Guys, we have to dial in in prayer. That's why when, when I first stepped into the platform uh, seven years ago, we started 40 days of prayer, that first January, because we've got to start in prayer. We've got to dial in with what God has. We've got to study his word, pray, prepare. Death never comes as you expect it. You know, Pam and I knew it was coming. We talked about it. We prepared as much as we thought we could. You know, for, for eight years, we talked about cancer that could have killed her, and it didn't until that last breath, right? We think we're prepared. Was I prepared? Nope, I wasn't. I thought I was. We do everything we can with eyes on God. And two things that we talk about in life uh, that, that we know are coming, but we can't do anything about it. It doesn't care about our schedule. That is the birth of a baby. Baby comes when baby's gonna come. Now, there's been a lot of scheduled C-sections as of late, but baby's gonna come when baby's gonna come. I'm not gonna work around your schedule. Death does the same thing, ready or not. Now, one is more pleasant than the other, although I've never personally had a baby. Um, boys don't do that, just in case we need to clear the air. There is a genuine concern with death. How do we face it? Even Pam had moments of doubt and wonder and anxiousness. She didn't dwell on it, though. She knew the Lord. She knew her relationship with the Lord. She had peace. Her relationship with God was great. She knew she'd be okay. Her concern was for us. For me, because she knew I'd be paying the bills. That's a bad idea. She loved the Lord. She knew that the Lord loved her. So many questions that come at death. Who, what, where, when, why, how? Too hard for us to process, and each of us deal with it differently. Death is the enemy of God's creation. Without God, how can we make it? Paul points to the church in Thessalonica and what happens to those who, are, who died in Christ in 1 Thessalonians 
But we do not want to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. Uninformed or ignorant is what the New King James says. Paul wasn't calling them dumb. That's why I like the NASB here. It simply says, you don't have this information. I want to teach this to you. A reminder that we need to be a continuous learner. Believe it or not, we don't know everything. We only process what we know. We can only pray what we know. We can, we can only speak what we know. And the Thessalonians were believers and they were losing brothers and sisters to death and they were concerned. They didn't understand. And while Paul was with them, he taught the, the Christians about the second coming of the Lord. Or were they going to miss it? They didn't understand. They were concerned. He explained that because of Christ, we always have hope. We're assured that we will see those loved ones again. Verses 14 and 15 of 1 Thessalonians 4, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. This is key. It's from our biblical worldview. Our loved ones who know Christ, they're going to be restored. They're going to have a new life based on what God's word said. And even though we know it is bittersweet to experience death, never expected, even though it's expected, Pam can, Pam's cancer that could have taken her eight years ago, but God, and, and we talked about in each cancer battle and, and several times that it took her to the brink of death and we thought we were gonna lose her. And, but Psalms 139, 16 says that all of our days are written in his book. It's God who numbers our days. It's God who is in control. He's in control of life. He's in control of death. And even though we have those conversations, it's still difficult. And it was difficult that, that morning that she took her last breath. And it, but it's God's word that was right there. It's God's word that helps us. It's God's word that reminds us that we don't need to worry. We don't need to fear. Yeah, it hurts when we lose someone. But God's got it. He's got them. He's got you. 2 Corinthians 5.1 in the NIV says, of awaiting the new body, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. It's new. Pam's doing good right now. You have a loved one in heaven right now? They're doing good. They're okay. Breathing good, walking good, praising God in his presence. These things in our, in our world and people who've even had, they, they call themselves Christians and they have near death or death experiences and they've written books and the majority of those would fall under our last study in the book of Jude of apostasy and false teaching. Hollywood glorifies death and tries to use it from every angle and they do morbid and gratuitously horrifying to loving and empathetic. Guys, the world is not where we look for our hope. Paganism tells us that anything and everything that we, we do should not surrender to God. Won't do us any good. That's wrong. We look to Scripture. We seek the Holy Spirit. We seek godly counsel. We don't dabble with the world's view. We keep it biblical. The reality is that any day could be our last. It speaks to the value of being present where God has you. You know, this weekend going up to Estes Park was good. It was fun. It's good to be with the kids. 
Pam and I went there every year, at least once a year for 36 years, 37, because we didn't, we were dating too, trying to schmooze her with the Rocky Mountains. Right, the great memories, good time, but it was hard. It was hard to be there without her. Oh yeah, we used to always go to this shop and this shop and we used to always walk, oh yeah, she's not here. But to be present with my kids, to be present with my grandkids, to make new memories, that's what we do. We, we do our best to be present where God has us. Wherever you're at right now in life, whatever's going on, be present, be there. The people that God brings across your path, be there. God brought them there for a reason. Look at them in the eyeballs. Be there. God has you here for such a time as this until such a time as he takes you home. Be present where you are. How much more important it is then that, that you and I proclaim the gospel yet one more time to be obedient in everything we do. Is, it, it's to point people to Jesus and the changing power of the Holy Spirit, the hope that we have. Others need that. It's not something that we just take and hold on to and keep. So if you hear anything this morning, let it be this, that God loves you, that there is a way to have a relationship with the author and creator of the heavens and the earth and everything that we know and, and touch and feel. God created that. He has purpose for your life. Death is heavy. But for a Christian, it's not without hope. John 3.16, most of us can quote it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's the point. As the Bible talks about falling to sleep, it's a picture, a word picture of death. And when Hezekiah slept with his fathers, it's referring to him dying. And Daniel 12, uh, the body taking a nap, Paul points out in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, to be absent with the body is present with the Lord. Even the thief on the cross, Jesus saved him and he said, you will be with me in paradise. On Christmas Eve, I asked you what you would do with that gift of baby Jesus. Will you not accept that gift? And if you've already accepted that gift, will you not share that gift with someone else? Because of Jesus, we can go confidently before God and ask him for help. Jesus is our advocate. He was the God-man, human with divine nature, human enough to be moved to tears when Lazarus died, and, and he saw everybody weeping. Jesus feels your pain. He felt their pain. Even knowing that, that he would say just in a moment, Lazarus come forth and, and he'd be alive. He felt their pain and he wept. As we struggle with grief and death, we've got to realize that grief is always going to be there. It's how we respond to it when it wells up within us. And having a conversation with somebody earlier before service, and sometimes we handle it well. Sometimes we don't. That's okay. I'm learning as hard as, as things seem to be. God will indeed give you enough to walk through it. The devil wants to distract us. He wants to find substitutes for that loved one. He wants to use every tool at his disposal, anger, uh, loneliness, uh, drugs, alcohol, pornography, sex, relationships, possessions, control, even doing what I've been doing at times and I have to constantly stop and God is stopping me. I'm just powering through. Just power it on through. And a friend of mine who says, here comes those feelings again. <sighs> Don't need those stinking feelings. That list of substitutes could go on. None of those things can substitute the loss of your loved one. I 
again, the depth of which we love is what will grieve. If you love deeply, you'll grieve. It's okay. Just be there. Be present. I was telling Troy earlier, I paused for a second here. Usually you do the altar call at the very end of the message, but I think you need to hear this. The, the whole reason that we gather and we give opportunity to surrender to the Lord as a church, that's what it's about. It's to point everybody to the cross. If you don't have a relationship with God, you've got to take care of that now. You don't know when your last breath is going to be. What do you need to do? The Bible says you simply need to confess and believe. We all have a choice. You have the responsibility to choose. You, you can choose to confess and believe in eternity and have eternity in heaven, or you can decline and walk away and spend eternity in hell. Doesn't matter if you're in this room or if you're listening online. This is the message, the gospel message. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's what we rest in. That's, what, that's where our hope comes from. That's how we can make it to that next day. Confess and believe. You don't have to get everything in order. God takes you right where you are, then he helps you. He helps you get to where he wants you to be. And, and I would say this morning, if the Holy Spirit's prompting you, now I'm just gonna ask you to say a quick prayer and then we're gonna close out the message here in a minute. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, conversation from your heart to God's heart. If that's you today saying, Scott, I need to have a relationship with God, I'm gonna ask you to pray this. Dear God, I need you and I ask that you forgive me. I have struggled I've tried things on my own. I have loss and hurt in my life that I don't know what to do with. Help me. I simply surrender. I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I believe that you, Father God, raised him from the dead. Jesus, please be Lord of my life. Use me to bring hope to others. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that prayer this morning, that's a prayer that most everybody in this room has prayed, prayerfully every single person in this room and those listening online have prayed this prayer already. It's a relationship building peace. Without a relationship with God, I'm not sure how I would even be able to struggle with the grief. I don't know how people do it without God, without faith. When we lose that loved one, we feel that they're torn away from us. Part of me literally died when Pam died. We try to suppress it. That's a bad idea. One of our gals that's gone through a loss on a scale that I can't imagine said, it sucks, but sometimes you have to embrace the suck. I'm sure there's a biblical principle in there somewhere. It's hard, but you have to embrace it. You can't push around it. You can't skirt it. You have to walk through it. Again, the importance of us making sure that, that we have other brothers and sisters that we walk through life with. Five things happen when we lose a loved one. Denial. It isn't true. It didn't really happen. So even though I was in the room with Pam, even though I was there and I knew she was gone, I, I still denied it. I still questioned it. It had been such a long battle. No, did this... Did this really just happen? Anger, realization that it did happen, questioning as to why, why God, why her, why this way? 
Honestly, anger has popped up off and on for the last five months. Comes and goes. Bargaining. Oh, come on, God. Can you just give us a little more time? A couple more hours? Days, weeks, months? Then I'll be ready. No, Lord, it's too, it's too soon. God, she's way too young. Uh, kids, the grandkids. We had camping plans. Come on, God. Didn't you see the calendar? Right? We want to bargain. Depression. I can't live without them. Loneliness. It's not fair. I'm not even sure how I feel. I'm lost. That still comes in waves. That's part of grief. Another one of my friends said something about the loneliness aspect. You can choose to be alone or lonely. That falls right in there. Acceptance, you come to that level-headed understanding. Okay, this is real. It happened. Now I've got to do the work to get through it, and I've got to take care of business. And okay, her, her life has ended, and part of mine has ended, but my life must go on. Her, her mission is complete, but God's not done with me. And that, you have to remember the same thing. That loved one's mission may be complete, but God not, God's not done with you. He has more for you to do. I'm still processing that. And there's hope, scripture, all, all that we've read already, and then so much more. Pam's doing great. No more cancer, new creature in God's presence. I get to see her again. And then the last piece is to continue. Well, now what? That's where I'm at right now. Now what? What do I want to do when I grow up? Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Reminding us that God will indeed give us enough. He'll give me enough. I need to press on towards the goal. God is going to give you enough. You need to press on towards the goal to complete what God has started. It's the same for each one of us that's lost somebody. It's gonna take time. And those of you who haven't lost anyone, it's okay. Love a little deeper. Hug a little longer. Give him that brotherly kiss. Love each other. Laugh. Expend a little more grace. Hug a little longer. Enjoy life. Enjoy each other. Those are just some of the main points that most people process. And no matter who you've lost, and you're going to grieve, and life is going to be heavy, and we're all going to grieve differently, and it truly does come in waves, and some days are better than other days, and and you're gonna grieve a little bit differently than somebody else. When my dad passed away, my, my dad passed, man, I was, <sighs> praise God. That stress and that pain is gone. And he knew the Lord, led him to the Lord the day before it died. But that turmoil was now gone. I didn't grieve the same as I've grieved with Pam. So we're gonna grieve different. The Hebrews buried their dead and they mourned for a month. The Egyptians grieved for 70 days. Jacob in Genesis 37 tore his clothes and put on sackcloth. At the loss of his son, King David wept bitterly and cried out, if only I would have died in your place. You and I can't change anything other than how we navigate grief in those moments. And when they come, just be present. Let it be. God's word is true. God's word is faithful, and we have hope. See, back in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. We're going to see them. 
even though death is inevitable. And many people that we know, including some in this room, will indeed die before we do. And each time we lose a loved one, we, we pause and we think about our own mortality and spirituality. We have hope. And rarely do we think about those practical things. Get your house in order. Take care of the business. That was one of the things with Pam as she moved into the hospice piece. We'd made those decisions. She wanted to be at home when she passed away. Done. We get about halfway into hospice. She's like, this is too hard on you. Get me out of here. Send me to a facility. Ha <laughs> ha, nope, you signed the paper. You get to stay home. Make those hard decisions when, you're, when you've got your whole mind about you. All the life and death stuff can be heavy. It can be disheartening. We have Jesus. I don't know how people make it without that. I find myself leaning on Psalms 23. I want you to listen to these words. Actually, if you want, you can shut your, shut your eyes and just picture the Lord for a minute and, and picture him walking with you as I read this. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Guys, he walks with us every day. Every day. He doesn't move. He doesn't leave. We're the ones that try to let go. With my grandkids and we're up in Estes, I got the papa grip. I have this clamp I do. They can let go all they want. They're not going anywhere. That's how God has us. He's got your hand. You're up there squirming like a four-year-old. He's got you. Notice that it's he who leads us and makes us to lie down and rest. Anybody else a stubborn sheep? <laughs> Is it just me? It's God who makes a road in the desert. He brings water to the dry land. We're the ones that have to work daily on keeping proper perspective. Guys, I had to do that, so I can't tell you how hard it was. just getting here this morning. But to be present where God wants us to be. He walks with us through the high points. He walks with us through the low points. So as we walk, we've got to keep our, our view, our, 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 our mind's eye on eternity. We have to look on the horizon beyond the circumstances. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, if all I do is focus on my suffering, and I, man, I hate every time we do a message, man, God's like, Ooh, check this out. <sighs> if I focus on my suffering, I'll lose heart. If you're focusing on the suffering that you're going through and the struggle that you're going through, then you lose heart, you lose hope. 
if all you do is focus exclusively on your suffering, you are going to be tempted to lose hope. When you lose hope, then discouragement comes in. Discouragement becomes that driver and, and you just kind of spiral. That brings even greater suffering. It's a downward spiral. So we have to keep a proper heart and mindset. The Apostle Paul reminds us that, that the suffering we go through now and here in this life are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. That's where our hope lies. What awaits us is so much greater than our present suffering. We seem like it's long. It seems like, oh God, is this ever going to be done? Wait. He walks with us. When we're in heaven, if we can or if we want to look back at our earthly life, we'll be looking back with the perspective of joy, the joy of eternity that we're experiencing. We'd be looked back and go, oh, that was suffering? Oh, okay, whatever. That's not where we're at right now, though, is it? It's so easy to say. This is where our faith and our reality collide. We've got to persevere in prayer even when we feel like giving up. And listen, church, when, when we're walking, I'm walking through this right now and it's not easy and I have not arrived and, and this is daily life. If you came this morning looking for a perfect pastor, you came to the wrong building. Work in progress. Talk about a construction zone. There's a cone right here. Question for you is, have you ever prayed for something or for someone so long that you were tempted to give up? Have you grown weary in praying in your flesh, but you know you've got to keep going? Prayer's the key. I've been there more than once, and if you haven't, you're not, if you've done it as well, you're not alone, and I've felt this many times. And the Bible encourages us to remain steadfast to the stories of men and women who faced prolonged trials and challenges, yet they never gave up in prayer. It's imperative why we're in the Word so we can see these examples. And from the Old Testament, we have Abraham who persisted in prayer for Sodom in Genesis 18, and Moses who, who persevered in prayer for Israel in Exodus 32 and Deuteronomy 9, Hannah who continued to plead with the Lord for a son in the book of Samuel. In Psalms 41, David wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. And then again in Psalms 116, 1 and 2, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I'll call upon him as long as I live. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul encouraged praying in all times in the spirit and being steadfast and constant in prayer. And he also said in Philippians 4, not to be anxious about anything. Well, that's easy to say. Don't be anxious, but pray about everything. In 1 Timothy, he said, we should make supplications, prayer, and intercession, and thanksgiving for all people, that in every place men should pray. He wrote that we should be praying without ceasing, that it was God's will in us for Jesus Christ. But the best example, and I'll stop with this one, is Jesus. Jesus taught and modeled a, a prayer of persistence. In Luke 18, he's told his disciples a parable of, persistent widow, of the persistent widow. Begins with an explanation of it, meaning they ought to always pray and not lose heart. To lose heart means you lose motivation and continuing to describing pattern of conduct or activity. You lose enthusiasm. You become discouraged. Don't lose heart. When Luke wrote the passage, he wanted to make sure Jesus' point was crystal clear. Being persistent in prayer was important. 
even though the disciples would face harsh opposition, even though they would lose motivation. They would become discouraged. They'd be tempted to give up. And Jesus knew that his future disciples would also need this. Jesus knew that you and I would need this encouragement as well. Don't give up praying. Keep praying. Keep pressing in. Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He modeled that importance of consistent times with the Father. Guys, set aside time. Even in the garden before he was crucified, he cried out. And he, he didn't want to have to go through this, but he concluded with, not my will, but your will be done. Persistent, not vain prayers. Surrendering, praying in humility. That's what Jesus modeled on this earth, especially before his most challenging trial. We should be praying. I should be praying even harder, right? I've prayed more in the last five months than I think I have in my life. So how do we be persistent, seek the Holy Spirit's help, ask God straight up for help, pray with other people? How many times do I tell you guys, if you're out in that prayer circle ever, you hear me say it. We have a prayer team, they wear a red lanyard. Please go to them, they'll pray for you. And everybody else that's out in that circle, look out, because they're coming for you. I've given them all the same charge. Pray with somebody. We need it. We need each other. Pray with others. Resist the devil and press on. Don't quit. Life, death, transition, change, loss, good, bad, and all of it, God is faithful. What legacy are you leaving? Is your house in order? Spiritually first, physically, mentally, emotionally. Leave a godly legacy. If I learned anything from Pam, I learned of her love for the Lord what steadfast, steadfast faith looks like. She loved God. She loved me. She loved her kids. Her grandkids turned her into somebody. I didn't know who she was. She loved them deeply. She loved you guys. She adopted Tara as one of our daughters. She loved our single mamas and their kiddos. She had a heart for you guys because she had a heart for the Lord. Her response, remember, in revealing the, the breast cancer was, well, I guess we get to see if my faith is real. I, I guess we get to see how God's gonna be glorified through this. And now we end our services with that almost every Sunday. And there's little reminders of that every day. So instead of me looking at eight plus years of battles with cancer, I actually look at eight plus years of spending time with her and watching her grow in her relationship with the Lord and watching her faith expand and, and be shared, that legacy of faith with her kids and her grandkids and with many of you. So my exhortation to you is don't get bogged down in the heavy stuff, guys. We're all gonna go through heavy stuff. Show up, be present state as Paul did as, as long as I'm in the tent of this body I'm going to serve you Lord and I'm going to be obedient to what you've called me to do Hezekiah men can live with weeks, for weeks without food but only days without water water in scripture refers to both the written word and the living word Jesus Christ so the question for you is how deep are you willing to dig how many obstacles are you willing to tunnel through in order to spend time in the written word with the living word in order to keep your soul from dehydrating? Stay in the word. Stay focused. 
Amen. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.